coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. I'm alive. Barely, but I'm alive. Uh, I feel a good bit better today than I did yesterday when, uh, as if, if you follow the show, no, I, I had no show to do yesterday. I just, I, I, trust me, there was plenty to talk about, and yet I just did not have it at all. Could not keep my myself upright, my head up. I mean, it was just misery. I don't know what has hit me. I, by the way, took like three COVID tests, and all three came up negative. So I'm grateful that's not what it was. Whatever it was, cold, flu, 24-hour, 36, 48-hour bug, it it was kicking my butt. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, feeling a lot better today and uh, ready to get at it. So like the last 48 hours have been a blur of uh, Robitussin, acetaminophen, and antihistamine. Also, some fresh-cut pineapple. And I even keep a little bottle of uh, sore throat spray around just in case I need a quick little spritz to make myself feel a little bit better so that I can swallow. Uh, you know, gross stories you don't want to hear about. Getting up in the middle of the night just to hack up whatever was in. Oh, it's just, it's been brutal. It's been, and, and so much sleep. Oh my gosh. When your body is fighting something, it gets exhausted. You get exhausted so fast, right? Ugh. And oddly enough, I hear from a lot of folks that they're, they're kind of dealing with the same thing. Something's going around. Anyway, wash your hands, cover your mouths when you cough. Maybe just stay home if you feel something creeping up, because if it's creeping up on you, it can creep out onto someone else. Uh, what are we going to talk about first? Well, we, we can't not mention, in fact, because today's going to be another one of those half shows, the back half of the show is going to be a conversation I had uh, several months ago with a friend of mine uh, named Brock who is a female-to-male trans person, a man. Brock's a guy. He's a dude. He's a total dude. <laughs> He's such a dude. Uh, and yet, he uh, has a story to share about growing up in Georgia, knowing that the body he was born into wasn't representative of who he was. I, I bring that up because, uh, obviously, uh SB 140 has been uh, the centerpiece battle of late in the Georgia General Assembly and the Georgia House. After uh, the committee hearing on Tuesday, we played much of that committee hearing, uh, just completely showing an utter lack of preparedness by the Republicans who sponsored the bill. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's they realize they realize they're going to win, so they don't they don't have to come in prepared with facts and data and they just don't it's just the it's the laziest form of <laughs> it's the laziest form of politics anyway uh because democrats are outnumbered they can come in with all the information and all the facts and science and data and logic they want but if you don't have the numbers the the the, the party the party of 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 less preparedness but more votes is going to win. So, SB 140 passed the House today, 9675, party line vote, and it'll go back to the Senate now. With, by the way, uh, Representative Jody Lott's amendment added on Tuesday that essentially criminalizes 
gender-affirming care treatment for anyone under the age of 18 going forward. That's the ghastly part, the ghoulish part. There, there are some exceptions to this bill. Uh, medical professionals would still be allowed to prescribe uh, puberty blockers uh, to kids who don't identify with their biological sex at a pretty young age. Uh, they're often prescribed puberty blockers. Um, there's also an exception for the treatment of uh, intersex, hermaphroditic, uh, those who are you know not born with the genitalia, chromosomes, or reproductive organs of just one gender. Um, there are also allowances for doctors to treat kids for non-gender-related reasons, such as a sexual development disorder or an injury or infection. Um, SB 140 would also let minors continue receiving hormone treatments if they began before July 1st when the bill, if signed into law, would take effect, according to the AJC.com. I have to point out the importance of that because, uh, as we heard Tuesday in the House Committee public safety hearing about this, one mother of a trans child who is in the process now of going through gender-affirming care, but not at the hormone treatment portion of the transitioning process, will now be in limbo. My name is Elizabeth Downey, and I'm a native resident of the state of Georgia. I strongly urge you to oppose SB 140. I'm a wife, a registered nurse here in Georgia at Northside Hospital Atlanta, and a mom to two young girls. One of my daughters is transgender. SB 140 directly affects our family and her life. My daughter began showing incongruences with her gender identity around the age of four. Over the next few years, she began discovering her truth and became persistent and consistent on who she was born to be. At the age of seven, after years of research and guidance from our medical team, my daughter Caitlin socially transitioned in second grade. Since her transition five years ago, not only have we legally changed her birth name to her preferred name to reflect who she is daily, she is now on hormone blockers at the age of 11 in sixth grade. My daughter cannot stay on blockers until she is 18. That is unsafe and will cause further complications medically and mentally. Just like I advocate for my patients and follow the most up-to-date standards of care created to protect my patients' well-being and provide them with the best care, we as her parents believe in the research-based evidence and standards of care created to treat gender dysphoria. These standards are created to provide life-saving assistance for children like my daughter. We seek out medical providers, pediatricians, psychiatrists, therapists, and endocrinologists who support WPATH, and these providers are members of the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, American Psychiatric Association, and the Endocrine Society. SB 140 goes against all guidance and standards of care on the best treatments for patients with gender dysphoria. Healthcare decisions for my daughter should be between my husband and myself, her legal guardians, and our entire medical team. This bill would deny my daughter access to medical treatments like hormone replacement therapy that have been developed to help her, not harm her. We as her parents understand the risks involved in hormone replacement therapy and surgeries, the two areas this bill is directed at stopping for minors under the age of 18. These risks are no different for any other parent making medical decisions for their minor children for, say, childhood cancer. But we understand that the benefits of following these treatments for gender dysphoria far outweighs the risks. We want our kids to be alive to live like their peers, to be successful academically, and most importantly, to be happy and know they are loved. Throughout her life, our unwavering love and affirming support has allowed her to thrive socially and mentally at home, in school, and within our community. 
My daughter deserves health care that is compassionate and tailored to meet her needs, just like every lawmaker and individual in Georgia. Taking away the option for my daughter, Caitlin, to access the care she needs is nothing short of extremist governmental overreach. If politicians really want what's best for our kids and Georgia families, they would focus on real issues impacting our state's health care system, like the ever-growing nursing shortage and the fact that hardworking families can't afford the basic medicine and doctor's visits they need. Please vote no to SB 140. Thank you for your testimony. Just so you will know, and this goes out over the airways, this bill does allow for children that are being treated at this stage Correct. to continue on their treatment and that it would cover anybody that starts treatment by the time that the bill would be signed and, used, and the, by the governor and bills go into effect, which is usually July 1st. So just so it'll be perfectly Madam clear. Chairman, if I thought that the bill stopped she could continue on hormone, like hormone blockers, but she could not have hormone replacement therapy. No, that's not my understanding. Pardon? After the bill, I mean, people that are already on it? What? Yeah, so like my daughter, who's if they 11. they stay if they're on it. But okay, my daughter well. is not on hormone replacement therapy yet. She's too young. It's not the age yet. But in how, the next two to three years, for her to develop with her peers, and uh, develop accordingly, yes, she would need it. And so this bill would stop that. Surprise, Republicans. You're doing okay. damage. On line 60, it says, continued treatment of minors who are prior to July 1st being treated with irreversible hormone replacement therapies. Well, you Correct. Know. But Caitlin is not on hormones at the moment. She is only mm. on puberty blockers. That's right. Go ahead and say it. Okay. That's okay. Come on. Thank you. So. Admit it. You're wrong. No. Okay. All right. Thank you. I stand corrected on that one. That mother, Elizabeth Downey, along with her husband and her daughter, Caitlin, now have to decide. At age 11, do we rush? Do we move faster than the medically accepted standard of care just because of a bill that could become a law by July 1st? Or do we subject our child to seven more years of puberty blockers, knowing the damage it can have on her bone structure, or do we just say, screw Georgia, we got to leave? Do you see what I'm saying? This is the sort of just nastiness, the ugliness. The, Republicans can talk about how this is about protecting children and how they're the pro-family party. They're not the pro-family party for every family. They're the pro-family party for what they perceive to be family. It has to be a mom and a dad, a child or two, and a dog and a cat in the house and the white picket fence. Listen, not every family looks the same. Not every family is constructed the same. But every family, somewhere in their family tree, has that family member that was gay or lesbian, bisexual, and yes, very likely someone who, if they'd had the opportunity may have been transgender in a different era. And let me just say, as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I got to tell you, when I'm out at a social event or a bar or a club or something like that, and there is someone who's transgender, and you see that they waited late in life or had to wait late in life to finally make that transition, you can tell what that delay did to also delay their ability to be their true selves. It's, it's not 
how do I say this without being mean? I'm not trying to be mean when I say this, but you can tell when a late trans woman had to wait until late in life to embrace their true gender identity. And when it's that obvious, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be mean, but when it's that obvious, you know the ridicule is going to come from the public at large. It's just an unnecessary prolonging of a painful existence that's already pretty excruciating as it is. It's cruel, it's demeaning, and it spits in the face of decades of evolving standards of care nurtured by a medical community that knows what the hell it's talking about. Whereas some bubba in a suit who want a house seat, who happens to be a lawyer or real estate developer, gets to claim a culture war win. Youth suicide rates be damned. Take the Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. And because uh, SB 140 has been uh, the focal point of the General Assembly for the last few days, I, I know that my show, I'm trust me, I'm, I'm self-aware, I know that my show has been uh, pretty trans discussion heavy of late, and so... Uh, well, this segment will just kind of keep free and clear that I will mention that the back half of the show, because I, again, I'm just kind of limping along this week with whatever cold or bug or whatever it is that I've had for the last few days. Uh, the back half of the show will be uh, a re-airing of an interview I did with a friend of mine whose name is Brock, who is a trans man. Uh, I just want you to hear what it's like for someone to have grown up in Georgia, uh, knowing that he was trans all along and Brock's process and everything Brock goes through. But this segment, I, I want to talk a little bit about real estate if I can. I know, boring. But I think this is pretty exciting stuff because uh, a couple of uh, organizations in Atlanta are looking into ways to reuse some older office towers downtown. A lot of them are, you know, half or more vacant because of the post-pandemic economy and the fact that a lot of us work from home now. Uh, there are these two downtown civic organizations, Central Atlanta Progress and uh, the Atlanta Downtown Improvement District. Anyway, they have put out an RFP, request for proposals, uh, seeking uh, for a consultant to provide guidance on how to convert old office towers into housing. Now, I'm pretty excited about this, and, and here's why. First, uh, it would be nice to see more people living downtown. It would be good for a lot of the street-level retail and restaurant uh, you know, businesses that have struggled because of the lack of office uh, personnel coming back to work after the pandemic. It would be great for that economy. Uh, it, would, um, it, it, would, it would bring residents to downtown other than, unfortunately, you know, those who are unhoused, the uh, Plenty of homeless encampments along uh, highways and under bridges and overpasses, et cetera, and so on. And I think another niche that some of these sorts of uh, living situations can provide is when you look at like an office tower, where where are you going to put the pool? Yeah, see what I'm saying? You, you might think, well, why would you need to put a pool? But because everybody has to have an amenity. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, you don't have an amenity like that. Maybe, just maybe, and here's an idea. Maybe, just maybe, if you turn an office building or 
part of it or all of it into uh, condominiums that it's just someplace to live with either uh, a secure entrance scenario and parking uh, and you keep your HOA fees minimal so that folks aren't scared off by four and $500 monthly HOA dues because that scares a lot of buyers off. Well, folks can afford what the condo costs, but when you're looking on Zillow or uh, Realtor.com or whatever, and you're looking at the price of the condo, well, they're not giving you the H. That, that, that doesn't count the HOA. No, your mortgage is going to be your mortgage, but then your HOA is going to get added to it. I mean, you're not going to pay that to the mortgage company, but you got to add that into your housing expense. A lot of folks tell you, oh, you should pay no more than a third of your monthly income to your housing. Well, unfortunately, your HOA dues take you well past 25 to 33% when you throw that on top of it. Pretty exciting stuff, uh, if you ask me, if that's the route that a lot of these folks go. Now, I mean, in, in the post-COVID era, we, we know that a lot of folks aren't working and commuting to work as often. They're working from home. Uh, according to the AJC's article on this, roughly 20 million square feet of commercial space downtown exists, but a fifth of it, more than a fifth of that space vacant at the end of last year, according to real estate service giant Cushman and Wakefield. Now, I'm not stupid. I'm not naive. I understand that a lot of this isn't going to become condo. It could be rental apartment only sort of scenarios. I I readily understand that that's probably in play as well. Um, But some of this is actually already starting to happen, and some of it's happening near uh, underground Atlanta, which, by the way, is going through a transformation again. Uh, there is the, uh, the two Peachtree street building, which is a 41 story office tower. Um, city officials are converting it into hundreds of housing units. The, uh, the WD grant building on broad street downtown, uh, recently acquired by Wolf investments and blue lofts and the Texas based companies plan to, according to the AJC, convert the 124 year old structure into apartments, rental, not condos. Um, but I mean, for those who are wondering, Well, who wants to live in an old office building? Well, I would ask you, who would want to live in an old mattress factory? (laughs) An old uh, warehouse. And yet, that's all the rage right now. You know it as Pond City Market. But back in the day, it was a former warehouse for Sears. And there's offices and apartments and shops and condos and all stuff going on around it. Yeah. I have to think because the cost of the conversion is pretty steep that this isn't going to like save entire office towers in a lot of cases. You you may see some mixed use. You may see some short-term rental, even boutique hotel scenarios where you get large suites because a lot of office buildings have larger building, uh, larger rooms, uh, larger floor plates and floor plans. But the net effect of having more people living in the downtown area is the retail will of course follow which will create the need for more retail and commercial space which will help fill in some of the gaps you see where i'm going with this and the thing is despite the fact that commercial real estate for office use is lagging after the pandemic folks are still moving to atlanta in large numbers we're expecting like another million two to a million and a half people 
by the year 2040, and we got to put them somewhere. We can't just keep saying we full because they still coming. We just got to find somewhere to put them. And we're looking at vacancy rates of 23 to 25 to 27%, depending on what part of Atlanta you look at, Midtown, Buckhead, or downtown. And you drive through Atlanta on the connector, you see the cranes. We're still building stuff. But while we're building stuff, what about the stuff we've already built that we're not using? Yeah. This is something we'll keep our eye on to see what sort of new livability comes uh, from old office towers in downtown Atlanta. Pretty exciting stuff. All right. Uh, I'm going to dip out for the rest of the show. Again, I'm going to re-air an interview with a friend of mine whose name is Brock. I've known Brock for years. Brock is a man. Brock wasn't born a man. I want you to hear Brock's story, what it's like to grow up in Georgia as a trans person. That's coming up next for you on The Ron Show. More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. So we've talked a lot about uh, SB 140 the last couple of weeks and how easy it is for politicians who don't actually know, anybody actually, it's easy to demonize or characterize people you don't know or to think you know a situation enough to act on it with legislation. But it's been pretty galling how we've had committee hearings, we've listened to testimony from trans people, parents of trans children, and yet politicians still will just vote on party lines without any regard whatsoever, having no knowledge personally, nor inclination to listen to data or decades of science and medicine on the subject. But if for no other reason, for history's sake, I believe it's important to tell stories, which is why I reached out early on when I started this show to talk to my friend Brock, who I've known for more than a decade, actually. Uh, I met Brock through my ex-husband, and Brock and I have stayed in touch ever since. Uh, Brock's story fascinates me. I'm I'm not going to lie. Being someone who grew up knowing he was gay at a pretty, I mean, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew I liked boys. I didn't realize what my like was all about until, you know, I started putting it all together, but I knew I was different. And while I never, I never thought I was a girl, um, I've always been fascinated by someone who had such a profound secret that, whereas I just felt like I was hiding who I was attracted to, I wasn't hiding who I was, wasn't really trying to hide who I was, except when it came to that portion of your life in middle school or high school where you start dating or showing interest in people, went through the rigors. I'm just fascinated by stories like Brock's, and so I wanted to talk to Brock about his plight as a trans person growing up in the state of Georgia. So let's listen to a little bit of this conversation that I had uh, back on October 26th of 2022. So I want to thank my friend Brock for joining me. Uh, Brock is someone that I've known through my ex-husband. You guys are from the same hometown, right? Like, you gra- Did you graduate the same school or something like that? Uh, we went to mostly the same uh, primary schools okay. and then up through up through high school. I ended up going to a different high school at a later time. But yeah, we knew each other growing up. Okay. So Brock joins me uh, as a 31-year-old Georgia native, a guy's guy, and also 
Brock is trans. That is correct. Uh, Brock hasn't always been Brock, and you don't have to tell me what 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 your name was beforehand. But uh, to explain it to those who are just kind of warming up to the to the light, um, Brock, you Brock, you were you were born biologically female, correct? That is correct. Um, so I wanted to have you on, and I want to thank you again for just you know a taking the text message and saying, okay, I'll do this with some conditions. I get it. Um, <laughs> But you know, it's 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 certainly understandable because there's so much anti-trans fervor coming from the right right now that it it's kind of gobsmacking that the the same people who call themselves loving, compassionate Christians are also behind a lot of this noise. Um, you know me; I love to grab the glove and the ball and to go play softball with my friends. Uh, I I'm in two leagues here in Atlanta, and they are co-ed leagues and uh, there are girls who are way better than I am playing, uh, you know, levels in my level, up my level, and it's just never been an issue for me. But there's so much fervor against the trans community using the minuscule numbers of scenarios where a male to female transitioning athlete at the scholastic or even Olympic level performs well, and all of a sudden we're demonizing the trans community, the bathroom bills that were bantied about in North Carolina and elsewhere throughout the country just brought out so much anti-trans rhetoric as if to equate anyone who is trans with being a pervert who wants to prey upon women or little girls or little boys even. It's blown my mind how much hatred and evil comes from, again, a people that call themselves Christian and moralistic but I wanted to have you on because I wanted to hear from you what seeing all these headlines and hearing all of these salacious stories is like. So give me just a few minutes of where your mind is in this election cycle and with all that's transpired over the last couple of years regarding trans rights. Yeah. Um, where's the love? You know, um, it, uh, it really struck me when you, when you mentioned or highlighted that a lot of these are driven by uh, people who, uh, identify as uh, Christians, you know, um, both in their private life and, you know, oftentimes in their uh, their political life, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of lead from that foot um, until it comes time, of course, to uh, make laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and then naturally, of course, is until it's time to interact with someone who uh, is transgender, right? When you asked about my thoughts on transgender rights, the first thing I thought was, what rights? Um, mm. Mm. I, I don't know of many that I have. Um, of course, you know, marriage is protected for now, for all. Um, for now. Yeah, for now. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I, I'm really not aware of any rights um, that are secure for me as a trans person, especially in the South. Yeah. I can relate to that in some respects in that, uh, you know, I spent 28 years in radio broadcasting and the first time I ever was hired by somebody who knew I was gay was my last job. 28, yeah. 2018, y'all. I mean, that was the first time I was hired by somebody in the last year of my radio career, the last time I was hired by somebody who knew I was gay. And I have yeah. to imagine that you have to walk a fine line or on edge eggshells as well in, in, in just employment. Oh, correct. Um, and, you know, 
I, I personally feel that uh, trans people are a little bit behind the curve as far as that when it comes to employment, I guess, in comparison, if I can, to, uh, you know, gay Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like everyone is sort of, uh, when I say curve, they're slower to come around to the concept. Um, to put it in simpleton terms, at this point, they've all got a gay neighbor, right? Mm. But they don't have a trans neighbor. Well, they so, don't know. They don't know that they do. Well, that yeah, that's what my point is. They they do, but they don't know it. Or if they do know it, <laughs> you know, what what is that? Mm-hmm. And I know uh, we're we're on with a friend of mine, Brock, who uh, is um, in every respect of the word, as far as I'm concerned, Brock is Brock is a guy that I've known since well. 10, 10 plus years now. Only Brock wasn't born a guy. Brock now is a guy. So I wanted to have Brock on to talk about some of the uh, anti-trans legislation and the anti-trans movement. I don't know if you saw where uh, the uh, the TikTok star Dylan went to do an interview with Joe Biden and talked about gender affirming care. And, uh, you know, the, the right wing obviously has, has mocked Dylan as, you know, a male cosplaying female uh, getting to interview the president of the United States. And Joe Biden basically said that there should be no one denying gender affirming care uh, to young people. Now, yeah, I did. I did see that. Yeah. And now, you wouldn't think that'd be controversial. Well, the, the controversy, I believe, is in the distortion, the spin, the misinformation, the lack of information, the ignorance. And I hate to use that word because a lot of people think it's um, an insult. But to be ignorant about something just means you don't know. So, Correct, yeah, like in general, there are too many people who don't know what gender affirming care is. Gender affirming care isn't necessarily going under the knife at age 12 to you know, have a double mastectomy and to get the, you know, uh, the, you know, the hoo-ha the made, yeah, yeah, exactly. the, the, the hoo-ha made into a wingding, uh, <laughs> gender affirming care means a lot of things. When did, what does gender affirming care mean to you? Uh, yeah. When I think of that, um, I think about, first of all, uh, an accepting space to find out, uh, what my gender identity is, you know, this process sort of takes years and, that was sort of the first step for me where I sort of just came out to my peers, you know, if you will. And there are no spaces, there are no such spaces that are protected, you know, in state laws or federal laws. And this is something as simple as allowing someone to use the restroom Mm. that they identify or that matches the gender they identify with. Right. Um, Something as simple as that is just creating a space where someone can sort of let the rubber meet the road and you understand what I'm saying. I Say, do. Hey, let's let's see what this is about. I know? do. I do. Uh, so it's not only that; it's uh, the mental health care, the opportunity to speak with therapists and psychologists, even psychiatrists, just to, to kind of flesh this out. Uh, pardon the pun. Uh, to go through the thought process before you go through the physical process. Am I right? Correct. 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 And then uh, eventually moving towards, uh, you know, seeking uh, medical guidance and supervision Mm -hmm. while using hormones. I don't know if they have some misaligned idea that you just start buying street drugs or something and injecting yourself with hormones. But I mean, it's it's I have to go to the doctor Mm -hmm. every six months Mm -hmm. to check my blood levels, um, 
readjust from there. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's something that takes a lot of medical care. Right. Well, there, there, like again, there's there's the uh, the folks who are screaming about mutilating children and puberty blockers and irreparable harm and this, that, and the other. But again, that, that's misinformation. There, there aren't surgeons waiting to alter physically a 10-year-old boy or a, or a 12-year-old girl in such a way. It's an unaccepted practice. Correct. Um, so what, how old were you when you decided to begin this journey? Um, it kind of happened in phases, but if I had to put a year on it, I would say I was probably about 17. Uh, so not old enough to have hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could not go seek, you know, medical care. I probably could have spoke to a therapist, um, but did not. Mm. Um, but how, yeah, I, how, I how, of, how big of a deal would that have been to, to you at age 12, Brock? to at least just be talking to somebody. Oh, that would have, that would have <laughs> saved me a lot of time and money as an adult. I can assure you. Yeah. I've well, got a lot of catching up to do. So I'm going to ask a question and, and if it's a tough question, uh, then I apologize and you don't have to answer it, but I want to ask you this, um, up until 17, when you started this path, did you ever consider taking your life? I don't think that the thought really occurred to me until I started to put together what I was facing, uh-huh. which didn't really happen for me probably until um, close to middle school. So maybe around 12. Okay. That's good. That's good. I just look at data that talks about uh, trans youth and uh, six to seven times more likely to attempt to to take their own life. And it just breaks yeah. my heart uh, to think that, yeah. you know, I, I guess in some realm, I kind of understand what it's like to hold this secret inside and not be able to share it with anybody and to be terrified of somebody finding out. And then at the same time, I, I it, it's incomparable to what uh, a, a youth who believes that he or she was born the wrong gender goes through. Uh, correct. And what's also sad about it for me is that uh, while, you know, I feel happy and healthy in my personal life, as far as my career goes, I feel no different than what you just exactly stated. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not in a position where I can comfortably uh, be out, so to speak. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to share a part of our conversation between Brock and I, where he talks about being confronted at work about the bathroom he chose at a job he wasn't out as a trans male at. More on show after this. Incidentally, for those who don't know, my full-time job is that I am a realtor, a real estate agent with eXp Realty. And you can dive right into the latest listings, get your home value checked out, check out open houses by visiting me at ronontheal.com. Even share some uh, blog posts that has me focusing in on the real estate industry and trends. Obviously, interest rates are climbing right now, which has a lot of folks thinking, oh, that means the market's going to go south. Atlanta's Atlanta's a different animal. Money Magazine actually says that Atlanta is the number one place to live, the best place to live in the United States. And by 2040, 
there will be two and a half million more of us living in Metro Atlanta. There's like six million now. That's a big chunk of people coming in the next 18 years. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, 18 years, that's that's a long way from now. Do you know it was 18 years ago we were all jamming in the club to a new song called Yeah by Usher, Little John, and Ludacris? Yeah. <laughs> Not all that long ago, right? Life moves pretty fast. Ferris Bueller, thank you. Currently, we are seeing mortgage interest rates at or above 7%. That's a far cry from the below 3% figures we were enjoying the last two years, but they're not all that different than what they were in 2004, 18 years ago. And by 2040, if you pull the trigger on a home purchase or a rental income investment property today, you'd be either done with it if you chose a 15-year mortgage or more than halfway through a 30-year note with equity growing by the year in a local housing market needing space for 2.5 million more people by 2040. What I'm saying is what you buy now is likely going to be wildly more valuable in 2040 or even 2030. It really is good to be number one, especially if you own your own home or a rental income property or both in Metro Atlanta. Hit me up, Ron at rononthereal.com, 843-283-0078. Georgia MLS 396-720. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So final segment for the day, it's also Women's History Month, and I, I, I was out yesterday, so I didn't get to do this. Uh, let's talk about some of today's inspiring women on this day, March 16th, before we continue our conversation with my friend Brock. Uh, Rebecca Cole, the second African-American woman to become a doctor in the U.S., was born on this day in 1846. And Evelyn Burns, an economist and technical expert, was born today in 1900. She was an immigrant to the United States and wrote the American Social Security System, the standard text in this field. Born on this day in the year 1900. I would be remiss without also noting that today is the day 12 years ago that my mother passed away. An inspiring woman in my history. Miss you, Mom. Okay, back to my conversation last October with my friend Brock. So we've been talking with my friend Brock, who is a trans person. He is Brock, just another dude, as far as I know, for the last 11 years. Only Brock is female to male. And we were talking about being a trans person and keeping a job while not being out, so to speak. I want you to hear this story. You know, I've actually been cornered by coworkers uh, and management about where I use the restroom. And thankfully, this is not in my current job, but uh, at a prior job where I was, I guess, sort of, uh, sort of out, so to speak, mm -hmm. early in my transition. Okay. Um, several coworkers uh, were sort of chatting about, you know, my my status or whether I was trans or not. This is not something that I discuss uh, at work for obvious reasons, right? Because it's totally not work related. But um. Uh, this this guy was, you know, saying, oh, I've never seen him use a urinal. <laughs> you know, he he's always going in a stall. And I mean, it was just unbelievable that adults were sort of clocking where I where I go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just in disbelief. And that was until management sort of corners me and calls me in the office and asks, hey, have you been going to the men's restroom? And I say, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they say, uh, well, uh, uh, you can't do that. And I says, excuse me. And, you know, they say, well, uh, have you had, and then they begin to, you know, sort of stumble through medical and legal terms that they really don't know about uh. and, you know, want me to defend my gender 
and I just finally told him, look, you know, I don't know what you want me to do, pull my pants down, or I don't know why we're talking about what I have going on, you know, downstairs, but I'm just going to continue to go to the bathroom like I've been doing. And if there's anybody that's distracted by that, maybe they shouldn't use a public restroom. Right. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. I can't believe. I mean, you know, I used to get gobsmacked when somebody asked me, hey, didn't you wear those jeans yesterday? Well, wait, why are you paying attention to what I'm wearing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I also do laundry, so it is possible. But I can't imagine that they pay attention to my bathroom etiquette. That's insane. It's extremely insane. Wow. Man, I'm sorry to hear that. My gosh. The crazy thing for me is I, I always go back to like when I was in college, I remember uh, there was uh, a trans female who was a performer at the local gay bar in Athens. And the only job she could get was being a clerk at a golden pantry in a bad area of town. It yeah. was, it was the one place, it was the one place she could get a job where she was accepted as she were. And obviously this is the night was the 1990s, but I don't feel like we've made a whole lot of progress in that realm. And having only lived in Atlanta for three years, it's empowering to see organizations like the Out Georgia Business Alliance, uh, Metro Atlanta Association of Professionals, who really push companies at the corporate level to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, this One of the softball leagues I'm on, we really began as a gay softball league began in the last year addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's a gay softball league. Yeah. Uh, so I can, I can only imagine what that's like to, again, walk on eggshells to, to, to keep a secret um, about your true self for fear of not being able to get or keep a job. It, yeah. It's, and of course, that's going to vary depending on your your location, especially in more rural areas, which I mm. unfortunately reside in. Um, but it, it is staggering how how prevalent that is. What a reality that is in 2022 mm -hmm. for uh, a person who is transgender, um, of course, or non-binary. Mm -hmm. Do you even feel like you're in a position where you can advocate for yourself without without fear of reprisal or people going, wait, you are, you know what I mean? Right. You know, no, I mean, oh. it's, it's just not something that it carries uh, too great a risk at this stage. Just terrible. I mean that, yeah, that's oppressive. I can't. Uh. So I'm going to ask you another personal question, then I'm gonna let you go uh, because uh, we talk about coming out. Like there was a scenario in your life where again, you're, you're now divorced. You were married. And yet, if I remember correctly, your in-laws did not know that you were trans, right? Yeah, yeah. That was not something that we felt safe uh, disclosing to them um, leading into the relationship mm -hmm. progressing. And then once it had progressed, it was certainly out of the question. And um, something surfaced uh, for some reason at some point after the relationship deteriorated. Uh, we've been separated now for pushing towards a year. And some unnamed someone uh, discussed that with my in-laws. And uh, apparently she has been uh, totally banned from coming to her parents' home. And, and she's got a kid as well. Wait, your ex-wife? Yeah, has been, been told is, she's not, not welcome in her, her parents' home. Despite the fact that you two aren't even together anymore. 
Correct. Wow, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah, Man. it's deep for these people. But which only goes to show why would we have told them? Right, exactly. Yeah, your instincts were right. Well, it's unfortunate that I'm out of time, but I will share as much of this entire conversation I had with Brock at ronshowetl.com on the blog page. See you guys tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. here on the America One Radio app and at americaoneradio.com. Have a great one.